Shut up and sit down. if it's thundering outside or if my husband has started some um, very loud-ass movie uh, downstairs in his man cave. He watched Pacific Rim the other day, and I thought the world was coming to an end. I woke up, straight up into bed, and it it was it sounded like this, the most terrible storm that could ever happen over my house was over my house. But no, it was just Pacific Rim. Tonight, we're going to do, um, it's, uh, a trope drift, um, and for some reason, there's no fucking title on my trope drift, is that, what? Um, it's supposed to be about NCIS, let me fix that, um, and, um, it was Jilly's idea, so, Jilly's gonna be the guest, and, um, She's going to come on the show and do this trope drift whenever she feels like it. Because I don't even know what we're going to do yet. I don't even know what it's going to be. We're going to find out. Anyways, we're going to start with um, NCIS as the fandom. And I really, I don't know why it didn't save my... I don't know why I didn't do that. Anyways, really, 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 really annoying. I'm going to get started. Uh, If that did happen to be thunder and I lose power, I got my cell phone. (laughs) Okay, here we go. I am unmuted. Unmuted. Something bit me right on the corner, on my nose, right by the corner of my eyeball. Oh, that's terrible. It's just a really terrible place to get bit. That's like getting bit between your toes. Yeah. Terrible. I've poked myself in the eye more than once today. <laughs> Trying to get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, need to, I need to scratch that. I'm like, maybe I should trim my nails. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. So, one of the most popular tropes um, in NCIS is Tony leaves. Indeed, and I was looking at I was looking at trope lists before the. Um, I sort of got I was looking at just the list of general fandom tropes because if you look at TV tropes for fandom tropes, it's just going <laughs> to that is a very different list. Um, apparently, TV tropes defines what the tropes are within fandom, and they're not story based tropes. It's stuff like fanboys, big name fans, um, um, uh, Trekkies, so Whovians. So it's like, okay, they've they've created, they've defined what the, tro- they've put us into these little categories and called us tropes. It's very strange. So I think I'm not a fucking to, trope. I know. <laughs> like, how dare you categorize me like that? Turn off the air conditioner. It does sound like an outboard motor. Um. 
And so then let's put one over to, I'll get the link, of fandom tropes. And it's a little bit hard to work with just, I don't know, some of these tropes. It's like, um, what? Because, um, like, one of them I had, some, some of them I, I'm familiar, very familiar with, but one of them was, like, curtain fic. I was like, what the fuck is curtain fic? So I had to go, you know, check that out. Is that, that like out. domestic? Yeah, it's like shopping for curtains together. Um, which I kind of assume is like a domestic slice of life type trope. Um, whatever. Um, there is a know. short story in the Stargate fandom about John having sparkly purple curtains. That's kind of scary. They were just the first curtains he came across and he picked them. He didn't care. But Rodney thinks they have meaning until he realizes <laughs> that they have no meaning. They were on whatsoever. sale? They were just curtains. Yeah. Sometimes the curtains are just blue, Rodney. Yeah. Sometimes or in his case, purple and sparkly. Purple. Sparkly purple. Um, so I just so I I had thought it'd be easier to look at a single fandom, um, and the popular tropes in that fandom. And some of those tropes will be like probably higher level tropes, um as opposed to a fandom specific trope. So um so we 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 mentioned we talked in the, in the last podcast that like one of the most popular and very satisfying tropes is Tony Lee's. and I think and I want to I want to I do want to mention before I you know do any you know retroping or whatever is that um, and when we talk about trope drifting or turning a trope on its ear it's not that the stories that exist that or meet this trope are not good or not even great. They're great stories that meet any trope. Um, and it's because they're good. There have been plenty of great stories that the trope develops. So what do you do when there's 50 or 100 or and more like an NCIS and Tony Lee, probably a 1,000 stories that satisfy that trope, and you want to take a different take on it. Um, so it's not... Um, Reinventing the trope is in no way a criticism of the people who've already written that trope or the stories that exist um, that satisfy that or that are in that, that work with that trope. As much as it is, is the fact that the trope exists is a compliment to the people who have written it before and people wanting to keep trying to find new ways of doing it. Where it isn't repetitive, where, you know, everybody, we, we just, we, we want things to not be repetitive. So, um, specifically, if we look at some of the, um, common ways that Tony gets out of NCIS, I think the most common one is that due to abuses on the team, he gets fed up and leaves. Now, there are other ways he takes his exit, but I think that's the most common. Um, Another way that he gets out of the team would be injury um, relating to, you know, some sort of permanent injury or disability or illness that takes him unable to work in law enforcement anymore. Um, and another way would be, and if you guys in the chat room think of anything you want to chime in about common um, examples of, I don't mean story specifically, but common examples of variations on a trope. But I think so. I think one of the things to look at is when you're wanting to retrope something is how you know reinterpret a trope, or is to look at how what isn't being done with different ways of interpreting it, and I think that in terms of Tony Lee's, like we talked about last time, um, one of the cool things would be 
Tony just finds something better. Tony leaves from a place of strength as opposed from a place of frustration. Um, I think that would have to be earlier in the series, but you could probably make it anywhere. I think I would have to make it earlier in the series. Um, So if he leaves from a place of he gets a really good job offer or he um, just finds another passion, that, that's actually something that I don't run across very often. Actually, I don't know that I've ever oh, read that's that. that's the fuck loyalty trope. Yeah, fuck, yeah the loyalty thing. Um, I don't know that I've fuck ever loyalty. read that. It, it probably exists, but I don't know that I've read it, which is where that Tony finds another passion while he's at NCIS and just leaves to pursue that other passion, not from any negative um, thing, but just because he decides he wants to do something else with his life. Um, there's Tony Leaves because he's got a kid. Um, but I don't think I've read, I mean, it, it probably exists. There's a lot of NCIS I haven't read. But to me, that would be a different way of reinterpreting as positive ways to get somebody out of a job. Because I think the trope goes to, and it's very satisfying because we all get set, fed up with Tony being abused. Um, so it's very satisfying for him to get fed up with the abuse and walk out. But as opposed to him leaving for negative reasons, a way of reinterpreting that particular trope would be to have him leave just for some positive reason. Either he gets recruited or he just finds something else he wants to do with his life. Um, so I'm resisting the urge to plot because I don't want to get into plots too much. Um, but... <laughs> But you could you could definitely have it be anything from he gets recruited by the S- now SGC. Um, if he were to be recruited for Atlantis, that would be around season two, season three um, time frame, I think. Season two. That'd be season two. So um, that's a really interesting exit point for him. He's not quite so entrenched with the Gibbs loyalty thing. Um, but to just see him recruited, we see him talk about his undercover skills if you see those being um, appreciated by another agency. Um, and he gets an interesting job offer as a result or because of his investigative skills or just while working with another uh, in a cross-jurisdictional situation, he gets picked up. Uh, or maybe he finishes his degree that nobody knows he's working on, and when he finishes it, he goes to pursue it. So there's... Um, and I'm not saying that those things don't exist, that there aren't stories where Tony goes and does those things, where he does get recruited or whatever. I was saying I don't know that there's a lot where he just does it proactively rather than getting fed up and leaving. Yeah, Fornell definitely always wants him. Uh, I think Fornell would have probably hired Tony um, if Tony in, in that body bag, if he'd said, look, I want to come work for you. I'm tired of Gibbs sticking me in body bags. That probably would have been <laughs> it right there. <laughs> he wouldn't have got thrown out of the van. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> oh, I guess that is still an example of Tony leaving because he's frustrated. Um. <laughs> But, you know, there could be um, – Tony could have a hobby that takes off. We see Tony the musician a lot. I guess that's kind of a trope also is Tony the musician. Um, he could have a music career that takes off. 
Um, that could be completely not law enforcement related reason for him to stay, not stay, to leave, is because he has some hobby that takes off and makes him really successful, whether it's as a piano player or a composer or whatever, a photographer, I don't care. Pick your hobby, and he's really good at it, and he takes off in that career and decides to leave um, NCS. He inherits a fuck ton of money and vanishes. So I think that's kind of where I would go with about how to reinterpret him leaving. Um, there's something interesting about leaving and coming back. Uh, I f- think a few people have done that, where he like goes to another agency or mo- goes to like Rota or another ge- geography, and then like comes back as the director. That's always I find that to be a really interesting reinterpretation of him leaving. Is that he leaves and comes back in a more powerful position? Um, yeah, Zan mentioned that uh, um, that he uh, jingles might grab Tony's funny bone, and he make, could make a lot of money writing jingles. Um, but I think you can just take a character when you take a them leaving or moving on or doing something else, and because that trope is pretty pervasive in most fandoms, have some version of that. Rodney gets fed up with the SGC and walks out. Harry Potter says, you know, double birds, um, the British Wizarding World and moves to Australia, you know, whatever it is. The the people saying fuck you and taking off trope. Blair says most I'm fandoms, out. Yeah, fuck most fandoms have some version <laughs> of that. So it's like, well, how do you do that in a way that is, um, different or unique or something that hasn't been done before that you know of. But especially when you're doing the Harry Potter fandom, I just kind of go, this probably all been done before. I'm just going to take my best shot and hope that it isn't actually what? literally like something else has been One done. One of the things I think that people shy away from when it comes to a positive leave-taking is that they're really trapped in the um, the idea that Tony's loyalty has to be broken. Um, and I, I uh, think that's part of the show. Derailed makes me. Sense. Yeah. So, yeah, Azure says he becomes a best-selling author without writing insulting fanfic of his coworkers and rides off on Steve's majestic unicorn. <laughs> it it just totally derailed me. I was like, it I does. was in mid-thought. I don't even it's know what bra- I was thinking now. There's no higher brain function anymore. <laughs> but yeah, the, lo- the his loyalty being broken thing. Um, and you know what, what's interesting about that is I think that comes from the show. Is that um, Tony? is perceived to be with Gibbs more about loyalty than about the job. And the show keeps reinforcing that the further the show goes on, um, that he's not there to be a cop. He's there to be Gibbs second. And if that idea is entrenched in your head when you move into your story, if you want him to leave, then, yeah, his loyalty has to be broken. But you can deconstruct that basic premise, right? Right which is that Tony 
realizes it's there, he's there for a job. He's there to be, you know, and when the job either is not going right or whatever, um, that's actually not, as opposed to Tony's loyalty being broken, what if Tony just is too principled to work with Gibbs? (laughs) And it, it wouldn't be much of a stretch. No, it really wouldn't be. You know, the first time he sees Gibbs, you know, compromises ethics, he goes, oh, well, this is not what I signed up for. And it's not a loyalty thing, it's an ethical thing, where he goes, oh, no, I'm here to be. And maybe Tony's too idealistic to be. You could do that. You could do he's too idealistic to be in law enforcement. And that's why he's moved a job so many times, is because, you know, he keeps stumbling into situations where he has to compromise his ethics. And he thought with Gibbs that wouldn't be the case, and yet it is. And so he goes, no. Just a simple, and quiet no. law school. Yeah. And takes takes great delight in tearing Gibbs apart on the stand. <laughs> Every single chance he gets. Um, yeah. but, uh, but back to that broken loyalty thing. And also, I think that um, people are caught up in the idea that if Tony leaves for any other reason than some terrible abusive situation, he's being selfish. Um, Because the fandom loves to set Tony on fire to keep Gibbs warm. Mm Mm-hmm. They do the same thing to Blair. Yeah. And Spencer Reed. the designated whipping boys of their fandoms. And it doesn't have to be that way. If you if you take out if you just mentally divorce yourself, acknowledge that it's there and that it's infected your thinking and take it out of the equation that, you know, you don't have to break Tony to get him to leave. Um that it's okay. Now, if you want the satisfaction, you know, you can still want a little bit of drama. And if you still want a little bit of drama, then it's not so much that the, the, that the angst is around Tony leaving, his decision to leave. The, the drama can be around what happens once he's gone. Because it's on my personal headcanon that Gibbs' solve rate is so high because Tony's there. That's my Mine too. Um, also, what I hate to see in a Tony leaving thick is for Tony to go nuclear and tank himself as well. Um, yes. I, a quiet no can be just as impactful, if not more impactful. It's actually more impactful than a, than a tantrum no. I mean, for you to like expose NCIS and ruin your career while you're trying to avenge yourself, you're not doing yourself any favors. No. Also, even if even if Tony doesn't do something drastic where he goes, you know, over three different, you know, go go jumps the chain of command tremendously or, you know, sick goes the FBI, to the press. Yeah, um, or yeah, it's the press especially, um, or stick the FBI on NCIS, or even if he doesn't take any of those options, even having a tantrum on his way out the door 
can sink his career. Because it's not like people aren't going to talk about that. And, and you know, by tantrum, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, people don't, you know, aren't literally writing it as tantrums. But that's, that is, when he's, when he's yelling and screaming in the bullpen and being abusive to people, um, that is a tantrum. That is, that is, that is a man tantrum. What do they call it? Mantrums? It's a mantrum. Mantrum, yeah. And he needs Beautiful. to not be having them. Well, we talked earlier earlier in the year, like over the summer, about the moral high ground um, and creating a situation for your main character um, so that he becomes a foil for other characters in your story. And it, we're talking about um, my least favorite phrase in fandom, smackdowns, um, and... Uh, and how to have a strong and powerful character without them being an asshole. Um, and the moral high ground is, is where you do that. And the moral high ground doesn't include abusing people. No, it really doesn't. And it sets up <clears throat> not it, it really abusing anybody. Um, now, if somebody's directly attacking Tony, I mean, like physically, there's defense of yourself, right? Somebody's getting in his way. That's all different. But often I think what I see is Tony doesn't just deal with the situation at hand. He becomes an asshole and abusive to the person who's in his way. There's abusive language. There's threats. um, and And it doesn't serve his character well. No. Because he, Tony has, especially late, later series stories where Tony is, where you've got an epic amount of abuse that's written in that he is fed up with and walks out. Um, if he unleashes all of that on a coworker or in the bullpen in front of a bunch of coworkers, ten years worth of of grievances. That isn't going to look good because it's going to be like, why didn't you do so? Because it actually looks worse for him. Because not only is he being abusive, but people, the, the first question I would have as, a, as an employer for somebody like that is, why didn't you do something about this eight years ago, ten years ago? What were you waiting for? So, um, it's. It's it's just something to consider if you if you're having him leave, how the method of his leaving. Um, and if Tony want, if you're having Tony stay in law enforcement, have him stay, have him have his manner of exit be one that will keep him employed. Because leaving without notice isn't going to keep him employed. Um, nor will an epic bloodletting in the in the bullpen be um, something that's going to keep him employed. So it's just something to consider if you're going to go with the typical abuse route, Tony gets fed up, um, version of the trope, which is, it's such a popular trope because we love to see him get out because he's tired of the abuse. So I'm not trying to discourage anybody from that trope. Um Hissy fit is a is a good is a good good phrase way of putting it too, um, but if you want to if you want to turn that on its ear, um, 
you know, I just think you could have like a really manipulative Tony, kind of not manipulative in a, in a, not manipulative as in direct, directly with people and in, in his interactions, but like behind the scenes manipulative, where he's getting his coworkers um, in trouble one by one until they all get fired. And then he's the only one left. Oh, I love that. I love Last that. Man. And he and like he's like sitting there just innocently. Like, he's like survivor in CIS on the fly. Yeah. He's like, I have no idea how this happened. I, I had no idea Ziva was guilty of espionage. Really? That's terrible. I had no idea Gibbs let a murderer off. That's terrible. And he's just sitting there just so innocent and has done nothing wrong and filed all of his reports. And he's just going to sit there kind of sweet as pie, and his coworkers just drop one by one by one. <laughs> he's I'm just like, can I have huh. a new team, but can I be more involved in picking them this time? Please. <laughs> and nobody knows he's behind it, it all. <laughs> That's a very different way of reinterpreting the trope, because he doesn't leave. He makes everybody else leave. <laughs> That's right. I like that. Um, That's pretty funny. I wanted okay, um this is actually a good time to talk about that. Um um I'm gonna put a note on the podcast itself. Um we had a, a during a plot drift we were um uh, throwing out a whole bunch of ideas and there were some fix that got written based on our ideas without credit or um and it's kinda rude. Uh so um I don't expect you to not be inspired by the trope drift. I do expect you to give credit where credit is due, and I expect you to link to the podcast. If this podcast inspires you, you need to link to it, because when you link to it, somebody might click on it, and we might get some money for the podcast. That would be great. (laughs) And that would be great. (laughs) So if you're inspired by a podcast... Link to that bitch. Link that bitch up so we might get some views or listens and get more money and then we'll have podcasts and just, you know, be cool. Don't be a jackass. That's all I'm saying. And don't write our actual plots either. Rude. That'd be fucking rude. (laughs) But to be inspired, yes, that's fine. Great. Be inspired. I like to be inspired by other writers. It's my favorite kind of inspiration to get. But don't be an asshole about it and link that bitch up so we get listens. That's That's all I'm saying. I think it'd be great if there were a hundred, you know, Tony Leaves Positively stories that came out of this podcast. I'm not holding my breath, but I think that'd be awesome. And if a hundred people came back and listened to this podcast as a result, there'd be more podcasts. (laughs) Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. <clears throat> but um, I do like the Survivor NCIS thing a lot. That'd be hysterical. It'd be so funny. And it wouldn't, he could, and it wouldn't even be just like Gibbs. It could be Shepard. It could be Vance. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Abby. It kind of reminds me of of that fic, and it's dark as hell. It is a dark fic. It's in Stargate, where Rodney kills people that piss him off. And John lets him. John knows. And he's like, he hides, and he kind of like, you know, make sure. And then there's one scene. No, I've never read Crimes Against Humanity. I'm not allowed to. Um, that's your rule, Lady Holder. Um, but it's a fit, and it's a short story. Um, and 
Ellis was mean to Rodney on the way to the replicator planet. And that was a mistake. Because Ellis gets stuck in this replicator trap. And Rodney could get him out of it. But instead, he cuts his leg off to punish him for being mean to him. And John lets him. It is dark as hell. <laughs> he kills Raddick. It's terrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, kills, he kills Kavanaugh. I think he might okay. kill Elizabeth. I'm not sure. I mean, it's just like he is a sociopath. And it is hilarious. It, terrible, hilarious. It makes me giggle every time. I, I, And I'm not even, I don't care. I don't care how terrible that makes me sound. It makes me laugh. <clears throat> Well, it's sort of like that, that series, also like that series where Tony's a serial killer and gives covers it up for him or lets him know when he can kill. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's just, it's funny when people go, it's, when people take a, something like that and they just take a character to to a, to an extreme degree that seems to oddly gel also with their personality, there's something weirdly satisfying. Yeah, it was like a Dexter thing. It's sort of like very weirdly satisfying. It's like, oh, Tony's a serial killer. I would not normally write that. I, I don't know that I could write that, but man, I really enjoyed reading it. <laughs> I think I'll read it again. Another way of getting Tony out of NCIS is that Tony has a kid. Um, In fact, that's little, what the showrunners did. That's what the show did. <laughs> and here's the... I was a little bit... I feel like what the show did, I'll just address what I thought the show did, which was that they gave Tony an out that Gibbs would accept. They pandered to that Gibbs loyalty thing. Because what is Gibbs going to accept as a reason for leaving his team other than what he puts above pretty much anything else as kids, right? So it was a, I felt like the show pandered to um, um, that loyalty thing that is so infected in people's mind that Tony is there not to be a police a, a law enforcement officer but he's there to um that he's there to be loyalty to, loyal to Gibbs and that Gibbs they gave Tony an out that Gibbs was going to accept and would repair their relationship because their relationship was kind of in tatters at the end of Tony's tenure on the show um so, so I, that's what I felt like that they did with that, and um, yeah, I would, I would, I would encourage people to go a different route if you want to do a kid fic, um, than than pandering. Well, they not continue. only got to do the pandering to Gibbs, but they also got to kill a female character, which is their favorite fucking thing to do on NCIS. Well, that's true. I've seen crosses with Dark Angel. With his Dark Angel character. I haven't. That'd be interesting to read. Um, I have a I have a story marked to read for later. I haven't read it yet. Um, but I kind of I kind of head tilted 
um, in, an, in an intrigued way over um, Tony and Bull being in the same story um, as two different people, not as, like, Tony goes into, like, witness protection and becomes Bull. Not that. I mean, that I don't wouldn't know if be a good that. witness protection job. <laughs> no kidding. That's kind of visible. <laughs> We've talked about bad witness protection jobs. Bull is a bad witness protection job. Um, let me go to my read later list and see if I can find it. Um, anyway, so that was um, – I haven't read that one yet, but it was, I was intrigued because they appear in the story together. Um, well, it would be an interesting trope on that would be that um, you'd written a fit where Tony was kidnapped as an infant. Well, what if he was? kidnapped as an infant, and Bull is his brother, his twin. The twin, the secret twin thing, and there is an entire trope specifically called secret twins. So there you go. Um, My mouth isn't working. (laughs) That makes me sad. Call it my clicker is not working, maybe. Oh, I'm already... It's not working because I'm already there. (laughs) (laughs) Like My mouse is working just fine. It's just you're on that menu already. How often can it reload it? terribly unfond of the twin thing in Harry Potter. Because yeah. it always, always means that Harry gets abused by his parents. Abused, ignored, sometimes even sent to live with the Dursleys for no fucking reason beyond the author wants to punish and abuse Harry. Okay, so the story is called Familiar Face, New Romance. And, oh, it says when it's tagged, Bull and Tony are twins. So I'm assuming secret twins, but I don't know. I'm sharing the link in chat. Or it could have been that they were adopted separately. Yeah. And it's a Tony Chunk Palmer story, which is a good use of um, an established gay character. Anyway, so, yeah, so that's on my read list. It's just I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, Chunk Palmer is the sort of appearance fashion expert on Bull's court preparation team. Um, He was a former football player who gave up his football career to be, when he decided to go into fashion, came out as gay. Very attractive man. The actor he plays is very attractive, good character. One of my favorite characters on the show, actually. For all that they named him Chunk, I... (laughs) 
I, I struggle uh, with that. I would see in that kind of, if I were to ever write Chunk Palmer in a story, I, I would see a lot of endearments being used. Yeah. I just I have a hard time that, taking that, 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 that can't be his real name, right? That's like a football leftover. It's got to be. That's what I thought name, too. Right? But I don't think it's been disclosed in the show what his actual name is. Probably Charles. Yeah, that probably is Charles. There's somebody being used to be calling, being called Chunk, being called Charles. <laughs> being called Charles could be really um, like, what? Why did you call me that? Babe is a lot safer. <laughs> Babe, <laughs> sweetheart, <laughs> darling. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of a different way. So the Tony leaves for a kid thing. I'm actually trying to think of a different approach to the Tony Lewis for a Kid thing. For me, what always strikes me about the Tony Lewis for a Kid thing is that the kid's a, uh, a surprise. It's a secret baby. Um, what if the baby wasn't a secret? What if the baby wasn't a surprise? Yeah. I had I had, I had a plot outline for a story where Tony knew he was going to be a father that hadn't disclosed it. His the mother was going to be keeping custody, um, although they had already worked out visitation rights and they had an amicable relationship. There was no animosity. She got pregnant, wanted to keep the baby. He said he'd be supportive, but he didn't want to marry her. Blah 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 blah. Um, and then she died unexpectedly. Um, harsh. But I really, yeah, harsh, very harsh. Um, but actually, where I plotted it is she died before the birth of the baby. And so Tony actually wound up with a newborn. But I just kind of flailed with where it was going after that, so I never really kind of did anything with it. Um, I just had a terrible, terrible, absolutely no good plot bunny part right into my head about your bunny. Oh, I, but I like bunny bunnies, bunny squared. Okay. You mean share it now or share it after the podcast? Go for it. I've got, I've got recorded proof. If I share it the podcast, you guys, you assholes, you cannot write this. It's terrible, though, so you might not want to because it's going to be a total angst machine. What if Jean finds out about the girl, the ex-girlfriend who's pregnant, and this is after that whole mess goes down, and she kidnaps the girl and takes the baby out of the womb? Oh. You know, like that was terrible. And, and it was terrible. Her. Oh, my God. And takes Tony's kid. I know. She takes Tony's kid. I said it was going to be terrible. That's a really interesting idea. And then he's got a whole manhunt. And what if Tony didn't turn to Gibbs to get her back? Get his, well, his the kid kidnapping back. Go straight to Cornell. Oh yeah, he totally would. Or anybody else he knew at the FBI. David Rossi say. I always have this. That's like my head cannon that Tony and Dave Rossi know each other. I don't know why. It's my head cannon that they're related. Actually, I have one story where he is Tony's uncle. Um, I'm sorry to call out Lady Holder. I need an invitation into your Google Drive. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing. The whole thing. (laughs) Not just that one little folder that I have with your name on it. I need need all the access. You need the whole thing. Because Tony, um, in the the one story I had it be that Tony's... um, Maternal grandmother, her maiden name is Rossi, and she's the oldest 
of three children, and the youngest is David, who was born after the family immigrated to um, America. So he was the only one of the three, um, the only one of the three born in America. The middle brother's name is Antonio, and that's who Tony's actually named after. Yes, yeah, so I could definitely, it's definitely my headcanon. They at least know each other, if not be full-on related. Um, I have Antonio Rossi in my head. My, my mental casting is Stanley Tucci um, as the favorite uncle. Yay. And then, and then there's <laughs> Uncle already. Dave. But, you know, John is, is, is a perfect fool for this because she's a medical doctor. So she would have the ability to get the baby out without killing the baby. But... If she's set to punish Tony, then the the girl's not going to make it. Right, and she is, and we know just how angry, how the length she'll go to when she's pissed off. She was willing to see Tony go to jail for life on a false accusation. Right. Because she was mad. So we know that she's willing to go to extreme lengths because she's pissed. Um, I admit I did not see the episode um, in, when Jean, Jean showed back up, showed back up in the last season. Uh, I didn't watch those episodes. I kind of rolled my eyes to the very concept of it. They may have been great, but um, I think they were one trying to throw out some red herring. I, one of the things I, that I did not like about the episode, um, and it was so ugly, um, she asked Tony if it was all fake, if everything was fake, that, that he, that, did he love her? And he said no. I was like, I oh, he God. Just, he just, he just that, denied just, their whole relationship in that. And that's ugly. That is so ugly. That was the worst thing he could have done because it made it made everything it made everything so profoundly ugly and invading. They had sex. Well, they made love. Yeah. They were they 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 shared a bed and he couldn't he couldn't give her that. And, he, and the thing is, I felt like that was because we know. And the thing is, we know he actually felt it because he went to find her after um, the initial when, when it was first discovered, and she had left mm-hmm. him a note. And he was destroyed sitting in her apartment, and she was gone. So we know Tony was in love with Jean, and so it it just reiterated that Gibbs loyalty thing that nothing is more important than his loyalty to Gibbs. Because if Tony had had an iota of sense, he'd have just said, I do love you. Um, and I think I don't know that a relationship can recover from that kind of deception. No. But it, it, is, it is something that could be explored as a way of Tony leaving is deciding to go be with Jean. But it and then was perhaps just another was... mountain of disrespect that yeah. he heaped on her. Out of loyalty because he didn't want to admit that. I mean, maybe he thought he was being kind, but it wasn't kind. But we talked about um, red herrings, examples of red herrings, in a few podcasts ago. Um, Jean coming back in the last season was a perfect example of a red herring. Um, because we knew Tony was leaving. Right. And so they're throwing out all these possible ways, Tony, because people were speculating, is Jean going to come back? Because they did, they did tease that there's going to be a woman from Tony's past coming back. Um, and so Jean comes back, and people are thinking about Ziva, and who else might be turning up? And so 
when those before those episodes aired, it was kind of uh, is Jean going to be how they're going to get Tony out of the show? And I, fans were freaking out because realistically, that relationship is doomed. <laughs> so if he left for she her, she framed him for her father's murder. Right, and he slept with her on a for an assignment. So, um, yeah, he told her he loved her. Now, I actually do think he meant it, but in the, in the way it was portrayed in the show. Although I'm not, maybe not, because he he admitted he loved her after Paula Cassidy died. So that could have just been grief um, influencing his his emotions. It's hard to tell. I mean, but you could make it early either on, way. When he's talking to Shepard, and we don't yet know that Jean's a job, he's talking about how much he wants her and how much he wants to be involved with her, and she's encouraging him. And it doesn't look like he's... This looks like a man who's who's falling in love. Mm-hmm. This is not, it you know... Like. And it was just... It was terrible to me. I was like, uh, no. No. Because you just made every single sex sex act between the two of you profoundly degrading. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go so far to say it was um, non-consensual, but she wasn't sleeping with the man she thought she was, and she wasn't asleep, and now she's got this in her head that she slept with a man who didn't love her. And maybe that's really super important to her. Well, it was sort of depicted on the show that it was very important to her because she pulled back from him when he wouldn't admit that he loved her. And now, that that's not a clean break. No. That's us punching the face. He might as well punch her in the face. I mean, I I guess probably in the writer's mind, they were probably trying to make it be like he was trying not to give her hope or something. But, um, no, she she had just done something awful. And then she asked him, was any of it real? And he just – and you could tell she wanted some element. Her At least his, the way it looked to me is he wanted – he she wanted to feel like that at least the feelings that were there were real, even if there was no hope for them. The, the feelings that, that in, in the time that they were involved were real. And you could you could see that she really wanted that to be, that she wasn't just taken advantage of because of who her father was. And Tony just told her, no, none of it was real. And you almost the vibe almost was that he wanted to tell her it was real. It, it was like he was conflicted. But they didn't give a lot of clarity around what was going on with Tony in that episode, other than trying not to get put away from murder. I th- really, I think all she would have wanted was validation. That's what any woman... Because, I mean, you know, I think it's what anyone would want in that situation. It's just a little bit of validation to know that not every single minute you spent with that person was a lie. All of it. Yeah. Because now, I mean, I would come out of something like that thinking, how the hell am I going to trust the next man who tells me he loves me? Mm-hmm. Because you question your own, your own, your own judgment. We doing fucking background checks. And <laughs> Running your fingerprints. <laughs> Doing ancestry now. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's 
Where do you go from there? Yeah. Because it's perfectly reasonable. He could have said, yes, I I was in love with you. I don't. I thought about following you when you left me that note, but I don't see how the trust, you know, that we could ever overcome the way our relationship started. And that would give him the out of not wanting to be with her and still give her the validation of not having completely screwed up her own judgment. I could see maybe from a maybe from a guy's perspective, and I do think a man probably wrote that episode, um, that he was maybe their their rationale was that he was trying to make it easy on her, that she could feel like she could walk away cleanly, thinking that he wasn't there were no emotions involved. But it actually I, I agree completely that it was just cruel. It also kind of looks vengeful, considering that you know what her actions. Yeah, like well, he's she purposely hurting her shitty. one more time. Well, he did. She did pick a really shitty time to ask him that question. Yes. Um, I know that the FBI has has uncovered that I lied about seeing you murder my father. But as long as we're here, was any of our were any of your feelings for me real? Uh <laughs> Well, nope. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think him doing that would set up a situation where if she saw him with a woman who was pregnant and it was obviously his child, him moving on, um, it would it could put her over the edge. Because she was thinking about buying a house with this man. She was she thinking about weddings and babies. And here he is having told her he doesn't love her and never did. And there's this bitch with his baby. Oh, oh, oh hell no. Psychotic break. Because it isn't like her family's playing with a full deck anyway. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, Jean is a, is a Tony Leaves avenue that can be explored. It's, I don't think it's explored. Trying to think of, I mean, I don't. It's not a pairing I would read as a serious pairing. Um. Although there could be some great stories, like I said, I would have a hard time going into it with my suspension of disbelief not already shattered because I just don't know how you recover from that. Even if he had followed her right away, I don't know how he your relationship recovers from that kind of betrayal at the outset. So, um, There's too much. He's, yeah. he's been exposed to her father's genuine personage. Um She's been sleeping with a man who, who, who lied to her about everything from his career to his fucking name. Um, so if you if you wanted to explore Tony leaving then because of Jean, you could, it could be that it didn't work out. Um, and then what does he do? I mean, that actually wouldn't look... Um, that'd be difficult for him in professional circles that he fell for his mark and left to be with her. Even if it was an unsanctioned operation, I don't think that would would be something that would be. Um, it would affect his undercover career for sure. 
But there, I think there's a lot of different ways to get him to take him out of the show in ways that are unexplored. And it's like I said, because I do think that the Tony leaves for positive reasons is dramatically um, under or unexplored. Um, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of different avenue, ways you could go there. So I'm trying to think of what other common um, tropes are in NCIS stories. Um, I think her comfort is a big trope in that fandom. I'm trying to think how you would do that differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zan says, what comfort? Yeah, because there's a lot of hurt in that fandom, not a lot of comfort. Um, that's an interesting trope in general because her comfort can really span everything from very literal. Um, I have the flu, and your, you know, Tony has the flu, and Gibbs feeds them soup. Um, uh, I think most to, dead air fix ends up being hurt comfort, either yeah, emotional or physical. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's definitely there there there. I, I think hurt comfort is is one of those things. You, you could probably most. Most stories that have any angst in them that have a happy ending, you could probably tag hurt comfort <laughs> because it just is so open to interpretation. What what hurt means and what comfort means, and the person you know, it can be. That's where you get you know like an interpretation of hurt comfort. That's where you get you know illness or disability fix come out of that. Um, and the 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 just the hurt there, there is just I think I don't know I don't know what you call it but when it's just hurt and there's no comfort um, I think a lot of times people don't find that very satisfying <laughs> so I think it probably didn't take off as a trope um, oh so that's it he's just hurt well gee that's that what if here's a little dead air variation um, what if after Ziva and Tim turn off the radio. Ziva gets out of the car. Tries to kill Tony. Gets back in the car like it never happened. Leaves him wounded somewhere. Tim can't tell anybody. Because if he admits that she got out of the car and that he didn't hear what happened... So, so he's her alibi. Wow. I wouldn't write it, but um <clears throat> Wow. So I won't get I won't get specifics, but there's some uh there a couple people have mentioned some things um related to a different way of getting Tony out. It's it's a different take on the leave, it's where Tony's rescued. Um that's a difficult spin on the trope for me personally because I think that most instances where I can think of where Tony is rescued from Gibbs, 
paints Tony in a sort of light of look, being kind of pathetic, um, that he can't take care of himself. Um, and then you'd have to look at what kind of emotional dysfunction is going on with him that he can't get himself out of a situation abusive enough that he needs to be rescued from it. And if he, and if he is in a situation where he's damaged enough to not be able to extricate himself from an emotionally abusive or and actually physically abusive situation, he's not suitable to be at the FBI or the SGC or wherever. He needs a he needs a, a nice long chat for many many months with a therapist. And <laughs> many 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 months. many many months. So, you know, if somebody has if somebody in the chat room has an idea of how you would do that in a way that doesn't make Tony dysfunctional, that he would need rescuing. Um, unless Tony's on a on an undercover op, that his his job is actually to be undercover at NCIS to get dirt on Gibbs. Um, and it gets dangerous and he has to be extricated, uh, that's different. Um, what if... Well, Tony, Tony, um, being, Tony, Tony being recruited is completely different to Tony being rescued. So, um, I mean, I've written you know, O'Neill recruiting Tony. So, I mean, I, I think that's a great trope. Other agencies recruiting Tony. I just, that's just a different than, um, what if they think that there's a Gould NCIS and Tony is um, an SGC? Um, maybe he was AFOC all along and they send him undercover at NCIS to try to figure out who it is or who's well, in the Well, you're going to back up and rearrange how he ended up on Gibbs' team then. Yeah, you would have to reimagine that. Um, it would You definitely have to reassess how, how Gibbs and Tony met. Um, so, well, it, it, somebody says it's a long time to be undercover AFOC. It depends upon where you position it in the show. Because um, the best crossover points with NCIS canon would be 2001 to 2005, which are good years for SG1. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily have them undercover for that entire time. You can't. This, this, some plots don't work the later you go on the series, the longer Tony's there. But it could work in his first couple of years there. But, I mean, if you have a situation where Tony's an undercover operative being extricated because the situation got dangerous, that's a little bit different than, um, you know, Dave Rossi visits the um, uh, visits NCIS and sees an agent being abused by all of his teammates and saves him because Tony's not going to. That's not a recruiting to the to the FBI kind of scenario. It really isn't. No. It's we're going to get you some therapy and get you away from these people and perhaps maybe put some of them in jail. So rescue rescue is a trope. Physical rescue is great. Um, it can be really emotional great trope, rescue but, is a career killer. Yeah, emotional <clears throat> rescue is a career killer, and it's rarely done in a way that I find doesn't break my suspension of disbelief about Tony as a character. So, or anybody's a character, because we reading about people that damaged, um, they can't. 
I mean, there that is that is getting into real life, right? That is getting into real life people who can't get themselves out of abusive situations. That's real life, and I could read the news for that. I don't. For me, I don't go to fiction to 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 feel those kind that kind of angst that I get reading the paper. Um. Because there is there is a minor trope in NCIS of Tony being in an abusive relationship, which is a little bit different than being abused at work. Like he's in an abusive personal relationship, and Gibbs or somebody helps get him out of it or sees the problem and kind of encourages him. That's a little bit different than somebody needing to be emotionally rescued from their job. Um, you'd have to have something like Tony's being blackmailed into staying at NCIS when he doesn't want to. Um, but if, again, still, why isn't he trying to figure out how to get himself out of it? Well, why would facilitates Tony... his rescue. Yeah. So to get out of it. But even that, it puts him in a weak position. Yeah, so you want to, I think that one of the things that, you know, depending upon what you're doing with your character, I mean, this is just the way I would approach things, is to approach my character from a position of strength is not reinvent a trope in a way that makes my character weak or appear weak or dysfunction, have a lot of emotional dysfunction. Because um, unless you're going to write, you know, a story about Tony getting a lot of therapy, um, but, I mean, there is there is something to be said for, a character being emotionally damaged and pulling themselves out or getting a hand where they need it. But if they need to be professionally rescued, it's going to be, like Kira said, it's going to be a career killer. Um, if Tony just feels like he's gotten in over his head with the be loyal to Gibbs thing and he needs space, and maybe he goes to England and hangs out with his family and gets his head clear and his Uncle Clive talks to him um, and Tony just gets a different perspective and realizes he doesn't need to put up with the being, you know, he's guilted. Because guilt is actually a really powerful thing. It's really powerful and insidious, especially inappropriate guilt. Appropriate guilt is an impetus for action. When you feel guilty inappropriately, there is no action to be taken. So it paralyzes you. And if... Tony feels like he's breaking up the family. That's what we, that would be. That'd be inappropriate guilt, inappropriate manipulation, and it can be a, a, a something that freezes somebody into inaction. And usually, the best way to get out of that is to get sometimes get a different perspective, get some time away. But that is Tony kind of leading himself into a better place, coming out of a dysfunctional position. Because um, if somebody's feeling legitimately guilty, you know they can act on that. They can do something about it. You know, if you hurt somebody, you you make reparations, you know. If you, you know, were careless and you caused their house to burn down, you, you replace their house. I mean, when you legitimately make a mistake, you can work on correcting your mistake, assuming it's correctable. But you can take action. But inappropriate guilt can be paralyzing. Um, and it's very manipulative emotionally. So Tony, I do think, carries. I could see easily a case for Tony carrying inappropriate guilt. And the question is, how do you break him out of that? And 
him having to be broken out of it by someone like David Rossi or somebody like that, that is, um, that is not Tony helping himself. And that's where it would be a career killer and he would just need a lot of therapy. I think you have to be careful who you infest with a gold because a gold infestation um, would be done by the trust. And they're not going to pick someone like Gibbs. I agree. It'd be Morrow or Shepard. That put a different spin on the Jean Ben the 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 Renee Benoit op as if she was a Gould. Why would she be so interested in getting to Renee Benoit? Or maybe there'd be some other op entirely that she she'd be trying to rope Tony into. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but if Shepard is the goal then it makes no sense for Tony to be there undercover for the SGC before Shepard arrives. Right. Now, he could be very useful at a critical moment when the SGC is tracking down Shepard and figuring out who the Gould is, and they recruit him subsequent to that. Agreed. You could do something like, you know, Tony saw something wrong with her, and Gibbs wouldn't listen. Gibbs just shut him down, which could, yeah, that's very Gibbs. That's very Gibbsian. Um, and uh, so, if it's very, it's very, if if um, Gibbs is obstructionist with Tony trying to figure out what's wrong with Shepard. Um, Maybe Tony, that maybe that's the straw for Tony is that he's like, oh, I'm so tired of dealing with you. There was a fucking alien. I mean, maybe maybe Tony's the only one who knows what was going on with Shepard because maybe he's at a, there at a critical moment, and so all he can think of is there was an alien in the director's chair, and Gibbs wouldn't listen to me. He's never going to listen to me. I need to find something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> now. I'm trying to think of... Vance's identity plot was a way of giving Gibbs leverage to ensure Gibbs' ability to do whatever the hell he wanted in the future. And now they have mutually assured destruction. It also satisfied NCIS's need to have a character-specific plot line that was overly complicated. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of those situations where you're watching the episode and you go, okay, well, it's only 20 minutes in. The person they're talking to right now is definitely not the killer. <laughs> <laughs>
are running. I mean, so I think they're running in their, my head like the most popular tropes in NCIS, and um, there is there is another. Um, Another type of trope. So Tony Lee's is a very specific, it's very specific to the NCIS fandom. Um, although, like I said, that particular you know main character leaving and going elsewhere, um, I don't. That actually isn't. I don't think in the um, trope list that Fanlore provides. But I would say it's most most fandoms have some version of that. It's just particularly pervasive in stories where a beloved character isn't treated well, like Harry Potter or Tony. Um, Blair, so on and so Daniel on. Jackson. Um, yeah. So the um, another trope that is also really popular is the um, um, the isolated trap thing, or um, there's I, I kind of kind of lump these all into my head, or people get together around. Being stuck in being stuck in a cabin in the snow, or being stuck in a train, <laughs> or being you know wh- whatever they're they're stuck together. That could also Isolate be stuck sexy un- times. <laughs> yeah, this, that could also be stuck undercover together. Um, and and under under stuck undercover, you have pretending to be in a relationship, going undercover in a gay bar. Um, going undercover in a gay bar is almost so explored that I don't know that you can put two characters together and have them get together in a gay bar in a way that would be fresh anymore, going undercover in a gay bar. You could do characters who who aren't undercover together getting together as well as that. Like um, Tony goes undercover. Like Tony's FBI and Gibbs is NCIS and Tony's working the bar in a gay bar and there's a serial killer that he's um that targets gay men and Tony's in the bar as a bartender and Gibbs goes undercover in the bar because he's the victim type. Closeted yeah. older ex Marine. <laughs> <laughs> um And he doesn't know whether he wants to arrest Tony or fuck him. <laughs> it's all up in the air. <laughs> and then it would be great if, like, Tony saves Gibbs' ass. Because it's always the other way around. So it would be really awesome if the guy actually kidnaps Gibbs and Tony rescues him. That would be good. Because flipping the flipping the cliche roll around is always a good way to to get a fresh spin on something. So if Tony's always the one in in, in need of rescue, let Gibbs be rescued. Um, but yeah, or you could have um, like Gibbs and Tony go undercover at a gay bar with a joint operation with the FBI. Um, and somebody at the FBI who's a friend of Tony's is like, you were really good at that. And, t- and, you know, like it sort of starts to see Tony in a different way as a result of the surveillance. It's like, you were really, really, very good at that. He's like, oh, it's like not my first time, dude. <laughs> I've been around that horse before. And, they, and then he gets together with somebody else as a result of going undercover with Gibbs in a gay bar, um, as opposed to Gibbs and Tony getting together. Um 
So somebody, somebody, that's why I think somebody mentioned Meg Gibbs, the guide, and a Sentinel Guide story is turn that around. Oh, honey. Um, mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, Gibbs, Gibbs being the guide, actually, I think all the original, um, like the very first flock, you know, very first crop, way, way, way back when, of Tony and Gibbs Sentinel Guide stories, Gibbs was the guide. It wasn't Tony. Um, and um, it, it, and the reason Tony was picked to be the Sentinel, I imagine, is because Tony's senses are portrayed in canon as being especially sharp. He is um, he he solved he solved crimes on in NCIS episodes based upon his sense of smell. So I think that that led people writing in that in that in the in Sentinel fusions early on to um, make Tony the Sentinel. And I, I remember there was one where um, Gibbs was like hearing all the mystical side of the the whole Sentinel Guide thing and looking at Blair like, "Are you on crack or something?" Like, "No, I'm not going to do that." <laughs> no. He just wouldn't accept it. No. He just wouldn't accept it because it was too weird. And um, and I think that was the same. And I wouldn't know how to find any of these stories because this shit was like way back when. Um, so if anybody has links to any of these, you know, stick them in the chat room. Um, one of them, and I, I could, it's hard to tell if these are components of different stories because I read them so long ago or not, um, but one was um, that Blair and Jim are the anomaly in the age makeup of a Sentinel guide, um, that most guides were older because uh, than their Sentinels because they were more experienced, um, and they had more life experience to help guide their Sentinel um, as they came online. In theory, they had more patience you know, they were more, you know, that kind of thing that made for good guide traits as it, and that Jim and Blair were an anomaly and that Blair was younger. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting, I, the trope didn't even really exist back then, and that was an interesting spin um, on why Gibbs would be the guide because he's older and has more experience. So If it was um, on A52 Prospect, then it's on AO3 unless it was removed by the author. Right. Because that whole archive was absorbed by AO3. It's just hard to search. It's hard to find 852 prospect stories because usually they don't have tags unless the authors went in and tagged them. So it could be, a, you know, you have to look specifically through that collection. But, yeah, it was um, – so there were – but so I, I, the first the first few Sentinel stories I ever encountered in NCIS were all Gibbs as a Sentinel. And um, I mean, gives us the guide, and it 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 actually, and I could see why they were making Tony the Sentinel, but gives us the guide was a tough sell for me. Although some of the authors wrote it really well, uh, it just was a difficult, especially the author who wrote Tony, Gibbs being like looking at Gibbs like like looking at Blair like he was completely crazy, like I am not going to eat granola and meditate. You're out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sentinel Guide stuff, it, it did kind of standardize as Tony being the guide, um, because Gibbs does come across, across a little bit more as, as the archetype of a Sentinel, um, even if Tony's written in canon as being um, having very strong senses. Although I can see Tony as being either, I can see Tony being either one. Gibbs is a hard sell for me as a guide usually, but it is definitely if you know if you have a hook, if you have a way of doing that, it's definitely a good. Not exactly a reinterpretation because it has been done, but it is something different from what 
what, what is most commonly written. Um, but when it, when you think of a trope, there's a couple of ways to I think to re, reconstruct them or redo them, turn them on their ear, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, and tropes can be anything from a very high level thing to like hurt comfort to getting down to the more micro level. You know, once you get a few stories written in a similar vein, it starts to be, and people like them, it starts to become a trope. So I think like a minor trope is Tony gets hurt as a result of the, you know, during dead air. I would say that's a minor trope. Um, in the specific to the NCIS fandom, but you can either just turn around the expected elements. Or, like, op- like switch them opposite, like the Gibbs, Tony, Guide, Sentinel thing. Do opposite of what is more customary. That's one way to turn it around. Sort of, the sort of like I would say, like the, one of the first things you can do. But other ways, like we talked about, just do them. Um, reinterpret what that element is. Like we talked about the going undercover in a gay bar. Um, make that be completely different. Uh, as opposed to the two people undercover get together, is reimagine that in some way. And part, I think part of the challenge of, and Kira identified it spot on, is part of the challenge of reimagining tropes is because tropes tend to come out of things that are in canon. They tend to be defined by canon in some way, like Tony's loyalty as being why Tony stays. And that is entrenched in canon, and so the trope kind of, the Tony Lee's trope, tends to evolve, whether people realize it or not, around you have to get around that thing that's entrenched in canon. And it's hard, some, it's, I think it's, I don't know, but I mean, well, actually, Carrie already talked about this a couple podcasts ago, is that it's, sometimes we don't realize how, what's defining our thinking, or how we've been infected by either the canon or Fanon in limiting ourselves in terms of what we're going to do. And that's where talking with other people can really help, is to help identify where Fanon or Canon have limited your thinking about what you can do. What if, this is a dead air variation, what if Tony was a sentinel but didn't tell anybody? He's going about his business. He asks Tim to run a background check on somebody he's just talked to. Doesn't get a response. So, being a sentinel, he does what a sentinel does. He kind of reaches out with his hearing to see what's going on in the car. And they're talking about how blissfully silent it is now that they've turned him off. And like, listen to his bullshit. Blah, 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 blah. What's he do? They've endangered his life. They've also put a sentinel in harm's way. Depending on your world building, that's a world of hurt they're not prepared for. A huge world of hurt. So he has a couple of options. He can call Gibbs. He can call the Sentinel Guide Center. He can call Balboa to get back up so he can finish his job. And 
And the nuclear variant of that, you have to have a different mechanism for Tony finding out what's going on, is that Tony's a guide that's out there, that he hasn't disclosed it. And he calls the SGC. <laughs> Based on my world building, that would go badly, very badly. Well, it's canon that Tony actually has very good hearing and a very good sense of smell. So what mm-hmm. if he is a guide with a couple extra senses thrown in? A variation, a genetic variation of a guide. Because often we give sentinels, um, I give sentinels empathy in various situations to give them guide-like qualities. What if you gave a guide a few sentinel qualities? I did that in Primus, sort of, which is that Primus guides are in their own right sort of like they have the senses of a low-level sentinel. They're not sentinels, but they have the senses. But it, it has more to do with their animal, the merging of the animal animal mm-hmm. spirit, than it does with anything else. Um, but I like the idea of a guide having enhanced senses as well, um, which is how I chose to work that in. Um, I do think Primus is an example of twisting Sentinel Guide trope around a little bit, um, or maybe a lot, of changing the way. Because that was something I was, that specifically was something about what Primus is, I was looking to reinterpret the trope. Um, Not specifically to do everything differently, because I wasn't trying to do, I think once you throw every aspect out that is common, that is fanon, um, the completely reinterpreting a trope from the ground up where you just don't do anything like anything you've ever read before can actually be really, really difficult because trope, one of the things about tropes is that they're familiar. And you can leave – there's elements of your storytelling that you almost don't have to explain when you're doing a trope because it is understood. It, you know, it's like it can be off-putting. Feels, yeah. So if you're calling it a sentinel guide – and you completely reinterpret the trope, it, if it doesn't feel like Sentinel Guide anymore, then you might as well not call it Sentinel Guide because people are going to keep expecting Sentinel Guide something. And if it's all different, if all Sentinels and Guides are both empathic and have senses and um, nothing works the same, and you know, it, it ceases to become Sentinel Guide, all that, all that familiarity that, you're, that, that is built in with a trope, it vanishes when you, when you reinvent the wheel completely. And you make a square, but you just call it a wheel. Um, <laughs> the cart won't go. You know, so the audience will go, well, how do I make it? How do I make it go? So people, are, you know, so that's one of the things is that what's good about working with a trope is that you there is that built-in familiarity. Something people people kind of had to know how to navigate hurt comfort. You know, if if um, what's it called? Um, if curtain thick is your thing, you know, there's probably some elements of, you know, couple shopping for curtains, that domestic thing that people expect to be there. I mean, I actually really had never heard of that before tonight. Um, so <laughs> when, when I was writing, when I was plot, pl- you know, plotting and doing the world building for Primus, I, 
I was deliberately not trying to reinvent the wheel. I was just trying to take a different spin on things um, and figure out how to do something I hadn't read before in in the world building. Um, and I will admit, sometimes my my reinterpretation of tropes is driven by things I don't like in a trope. And this goes back to the Sentinel fandom of guides being weak, um, that whole Blair Jim thing of the weak guide needing protection, which a lot of I think a lot of authors have, have taken huge strides to kind of um, redefine that to where guides are you know strong and they are as much a part an equal part of the partnership as the Sentinel is. Um, and so I, but I was, I think that so a little bit of my reinterpretation was a little bit of probably, I, I think definitely there's an element of, you know, burnout on that trope back from when I read the Sentinel of the weak guide thing. And I wanted to go the complete opposite direction with that. And I thought the idea of a, a guide on the hunt, um, you know, super aggressive out finding their Sentinel and the whole world sort of, stands back and gets out of their way. I thought that was, to me, that was an, an unusual, um, a different take on what a guide was. And, you know, I wanted them to be part animal, you know, have that animal part inside of them. Not literally. I mean, not like sprouting fur and fucking with penis spikes. None of that. But, you know. <laughs> penis spikes. <laughs> wow. I just had to penis say, you know, I mean, spikes. penis spikes creep in. And sometimes you get to the side, you get, you get, you kind of like, whiplash on penis spikes because you didn't know they'd be there. And you'd be like, oh, penis spikes. <laughs> um, that was unexpected. Don't, don't ever, it's just a, penis spikes are a rude thing to slip into a story. Just let people know. Um, I think nodding is also a rude thing to have come out of nowhere, especially I for agree. the bottom. Totally agree. <laughs> that you shit need to, should be discussed beforehand. <laughs> yes. If that can happen. Both to your for your audience and the characters need to discuss it, because um, if they don't know that a knot is coming, that's just rude. Um, that is very rude. <laughs> whoa, dude! But penis spikes just as rude. So much ruder, I think, actually. <laughs> yes, I agree. Penis spikes are ruder than a knot. Um, so anyway, so I just I was sort of reimagining what a guide was and then and and how that worked um as opposed to like a sentinel coming online and finding their guide um i wanted to do a guide this a guide comes online and doesn't just go like find a sentinel they go hunt one (laughs) in a very kind of primal primitive way i'm going to go even if i have to hunt one to another galaxy i'm going to hunt my sentinel um so that was kind of me reinterpreting um, the Sentinel Guide trope uh, somewhat, was what I was trying to do with that story. Um, and that's and that and and the way I did it is I started with how do I re, how do I reinterpret what a guide is, and that was a case of I had to get fandom out of my head completely. Because I'm mean, not saying that fandom is bad, but the, the, some of the even even stuff we really enjoy. And we really like it, it. It can get in your brain and limit limit you in terms of when you are 
world building or plotting or whatever, you can be limited by the good things, the stuff you enjoy a lot. Because it can be just, well, this is the way we do it. Well, who says? There are no fandom beliefs. Always, always, and I do this too, I'm very guilty of it. Always the societal worth is placed on the sentinel. What if the opposite were true? What if the guide was, whoa, we need a guide, we need a guide. (laughs) Get this guy to sentinel before they get hurt. (laughs) So what if the guide is in the role that you traditionally place sentinel in? He's the one looking for a sentinel. It's important that he have a sentinel so he can be protected and he can be sheltered from crap that other people do. And sentinels are really common and guides are really rare. Because normally it's the other way around. There are one sentinel and 50 guys to choose from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, I, there was a story, I did read a story once, I'm vague recollection, because a lot of my sentinel days were a long time ago. Um, Mine too. And also I had to let go of a lot of I can't read that, I can't read that, I can't read that because it would have tags for slavery or non con or for slavery. Right, and then B outright slavery and non con. Yeah. I'm like, No, 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 I can't read that. So my and, reading in Sentinel fandom was actually pretty limited. <clears throat> yeah, and so th- it I, I do remember reading a story where no. I mean it had elements that were really original. Um, in terms of guides being super rare, but then it 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 turned it in a, in a way that I w- I wish they hadn't turned the trope, which was that guides didn't have a choice once they were matched. You know, once they found oh, someone a guide. See? Yeah, yeah, right. So like they got shipped off. It's like okay, we found a sentinel for you, um, and you know, and, and there might be there might be you know fifty sentinels there sniffing you, but you only you only have to fuck the one. And it's like, mm. <laughs> it's a good reinterpretation. Guys are rare; they're highly valued, but they don't exactly have a lot of choices. So, um, and maybe I mean you could argue, and I, you could argue that that. And I think the author did, as I recall, argue that um, I seem to recall this one of Yahoo groups that it is a reasonable interpretation that if there's a lot of sentinels and that they're very powerful and they're society's protectors and they need guides and guides are rare, that you'd wind up in a guides being a commodity, almost a slave type situation. And I was like, uh. but if I wanted reality, I have plenty of that. I I can find stories that are that reflect that kind of reality, you know, that we call yeah, the, we call them biographies, nonfiction, you know, the news. <laughs> if people memoirs. have slavery as their end game, it's going to be their end game, and then and they're going to find a way to justify it. Exactly. Oh, God! I'm looking at this trope list and magical healing cock just. I have I, I have that. problems. I had a magical cock, but it wasn't you healing. Magical, it was just magic. It's just ma- magical cock. Magical cock needs to be like a thing. Um, like it kind of makes a you want to have magic thing. be be an NCIS, and that magic dick just happens. Okay, but magical healing. And that cock. would be a true digmatizing. 
Dickmatized. I've sorry, sorry, director fans. I need the afternoon off. I've just been dickmatized. Been dickmatized. <laughs> um, I love working it into a sentence. That's my favorite thing. So, <laughs> magical healing cock is is it's a troublesome trope for me. It's like. And that's why I really appreciate Kira's reinterpretation of the magical healing cock as just making it a magic dick. Um, Because the idea that someone needs to be fucked to recover from something or to calm them down or, you know, if you fuck me, I'll get over being upset. (sighs) (laughs) No, but I'll have a really good orgasm and then still be upset with you. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. I, see, I would there have is said, that really terrible, awesome, good fit. I mean, it's it's awesome because um, of the writer. The writer is awesome, but the circumstances are are terrible. And once you realize what's going on, and John's a dick, um, and it's like, oh, John, you dick. But Rodney gets really brilliant after an orgasm. So every time there's an emergency or a situation where Rodney needs to be really, really, really brilliant, John fucks him. And Rodney catches on. He thought they were having a relationship, but they weren't. And it's sad, but then they get back together because, you know, dick magic. Aww. Dick magic. <laughs> but so that is so some tropes I, I, I wouldn't look at and go, I got to redefine that because I would just go, oh, my God. So another a variant of magical healing cock is ICU sex. It's like, you know, what's going to get you out of your critical recovery in the intensive care unit? Is someone giving you a blowjob? No. It, it, my 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 disbelief swan dives off the balcony. Um, I haven't read stories like this in at least a decade. Right? Huh? <laughs> people in the ICU, like ninety nine percent of the time, they're going to have a heart monitor on. Right. You just don't want that thing spiking like that. Um, but there is. Um, so that's not a trope that I would have looked at and gone. I'm I'm going to redefine that. Um, but Kira did. She just took out the word healing. She just made a magical dick. And there you go. It, it's great. Toe curling, even. It's toe <laughs> curling, yeah, exactly. Um, but somebody mentioned, um, like, something. I just saw I just saw a mention about mm, post-civil rights era guide or Omega working in law enforcement. I don't, um, I, I don't really understand the full thing. But I, I want to just mention the Omega thing. It's one of my reinterpretations of the Omega trope. It's just based upon the ABO trope. It's just based on what the word Omega means it means great and that was my reinterpretation of the trope for subversive was that the omegas were always the top banana they were never subjugated they were never enslaved they were never um now some people did bad things because people do bad things to omegas in isolated ways but that they were always the most powerful um, and like I have some nations did some bad things in a very brief period of time that actually was leading to the extinction of their race because it violated the basic tenets um, under which omegas were allowed to live with alphas and betas is that they couldn't hurt them. And when they did, the, the species started to die. So um, I'm not criticizing anybody. I didn't fully understand the idea, so I wasn't criticizing anybody's idea. I'm just mentioning that I, it's something, not a way I would reinterpret a trope. Um, I wouldn't try to work around the idea of the oppressed omega to work around the problems with the ABO trope. I would get rid of the oppressed omega. 
That's the way I would, because we're so stuck in thinking about what, what an omega is based upon how, because it was defined, something basically defined in fandom. So it, it, we're so stuck in how, in, in what an omega is or what a guide is based upon things, how things have been defined, that we try to work around the problems. And the way I took that approach with subversive was just get rid of the problem. I'm not going to ever have had that be an issue. Back at the dawn of time, it's not going to have been an issue. And when people started fucking up and making it a problem, they almost um, destroyed themselves as a species. So, you know, this goes back to, you know, Kira's talking about how we can get infected by concepts or by fandom or even by canon. You things get stuck in your head, and you try to find ways to tweak them, twist them, turn them. Um, like somebody said in the chat room, don't fix it, obliterate it. Do, obliterate it. That's perfectly fine. You, you need to have enough familiarity. If you want to use the trope, you've got to have enough familiarity to the trope that it's still... But you've got alphas, in the case of ABO fix, you've still got alphas and betas. You can obliterate everything around omegas and still have shifter fix that feel familiar. So it's just kind of reframing your thinking about what you can do um, and what you're allowed. And the funny thing is I was talking to someone today and they said that well, um, are, what they're allowed to do, they use the word allowed. And I don't think, I mean, in fan fiction, that's a very strange word because there's, there really is no police telling you what you can and can't do. If there were, and Kira and I were the police, there'd be a lot less, or none, no slave fix. So, you know, the fandom, the whole police thing, <laughs> it, it doesn't exist. Um, and if it did, I probably would um, have already been arrested. <laughs> <laughs> the Sentinel fandom would have put out a warrant for my arrest, I assure you. <clears throat> So you can do what you want. Nobody's of uh, nobody's you don't have to seek anybody's permission. You don't have to um you don't have to follow the tenets of a trope as they've been established at all. If you want to write an ABO story where the omegas don't self lubricate, good on you. Write it that way. If you don't want there to be any impreg in your ABO story, then write it that way. There's no rules you have to follow just because the first few ABO stories have those elements. If you don't want heat in your story, mindless heat, then don't have mindless heat. You don't have to. You don't have to account for um, why you don't have it. I mean, that's actually that's a very strange thing to do in a story in your narrative. Explain why something that doesn't exist doesn't exist. I've seen it happen. <laughs> like why Because they're trying to thing? drive off questions they'll get from readers. Right. And that's something you put in your author note, but don't if you really feel like you're gonna get questions from readers around something, just address it in your author note. If it's something that doesn't exist in your world at all. Like if you if you decide to take out the mindless heat thing, you can just say that. Because it's harder to address in the narrative that mindless heats don't exist because if they don't exist, why would you even be addressing that? So it can create a clunky thing in your narrative on something that doesn't exist. So if something doesn't exist, you can put it in your author notes. Um, if you're just, you know, if something has evolved, that's something you can address in your na- narrative. Um, but just, I just wouldn't say that, you know, when it comes to 
retroping or detroping or whatever is stop to think about what you feel what you feel like you're confined by if you feel confined by the way it's been done before well, what about the way it's been done before? And why do you feel confined by that? Do you feel confined by canon in some way? Um, because sometimes tropes evolve the way they do because other people have felt confined similarly. And you have the opportunity to do something different if that's what you want to do. I don't think incest is a trope. Thank you very much. If it is, it's a disgusting one. Yes, it is. I'm trying to think of what else. I'm trying to think of common tropes, because if I think about the common tropes in NCIS, I would have to go with Tony Lee's um, something undercover, something related to undercover operation. Case fic is considered a, a trope, um, although I find that odd to define case fic as a trope because that is a really difficult trope to nail down. Because there are there are case fics that are you know you know three hundred thousand words and super involved, and they are the case. It is a mystery, a full on mystery, as opposed to. Gibbs and Tony get together during the course of the case, which is a different kind of case fic. So I won't even get into the AUs. Because I, would I wouldn't know how to turn um, a high school AU on its ear to save my life because I wouldn't know how to write a high school AU. How do you redefine a high school AU? Um, make them all superheroes. No, wait, that's already been done. I wouldn't want to write a prison AU. Um, because there's some tropes I don't read, it's really hard to go. I would... Uh, convenience marriage. Huh. One of my marriage favorite stories in NCIS is a convenience marriage. It is. Mine too, which is um, a forever thing. Is that the same one you're yes. thinking about? Yep, yeah, it is. That's, that's a really good story. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of this. I'm trying to think if there's a different way you could approach marriage of convenience. Something that's just turning it on its ear. And there's always different there's always different hooks for a story, right? Different lead in because no two stories are the same. Um Someone said serial killer AU. In what sense serial killer? Like one of the one of the guys with a serial killer? Serial killers in love? What kind of serial killer? AU. Oh, for everything. Um Kind of murder killer. husbands. <laughs> yeah, murder husbands. That's hysterical. Man, Hannibal, Hannibal ruined a large section of the fandom. I'm just gonna put that out there. Murder husbands. Murder husbands might be fun in a in a not it, for me just for me in a fandom that doesn't have anything to do with um, cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a that's a tough sell for me. <clears throat> So Hoyden wrote that um, thick, right? That story. Which one? The Marriage of Convenience story. No, Ellen's Cult. Oh, Ellen's Cult. One of my other favorites for NCIS. 
Those two are automatic raids for me in NCIS, unless they have a tag that's going to mess me up. So, <clears throat> Competing serial killers. Alice Cult also wrote a different interpretation. There's another um, trope that she wrote that's also another one I really like, um, which is the dating and they don't know it. I can't remember what that trope is called. Oh, um, I love that story. Where where gives yeah. his father one P flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where is that story? Oh, never go up against your father when a bet is on the line. Yeah. Gibbs finds out he's been dating Tony for six months. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody knew but Gibbs. So that's this one. Um now, some some tropes are not so explored that um, it's like they're explored and they're explored enough in across all fandoms to be a trope, but they may not be very explored in your fandom. So maybe you don't need to reinvent the wheel because just applying it to the fandom you want to write in is different. Um, I do think getting Jackson Gibbs involved um, was was a nice twist, a nice touch. Is it dad, you know, the dad gives him a hard time. And the bet. Yeah. Marriage is convenient. People falling in love, that that's kind of people falling in love in a marriage of convenience thing. That The idea of that is um, that if you put two people who you think have chemistry together in close proximity for um, – an extended period of time, they'll fall in love with each other. And if they have to live together, they're going to fall in love with each other, um, which is the same kind of thing that you see in The Stranded in the Cabin, but that's in a much more compressed time period, is that they'll fall for each other if they are in. Um... Okay, I just thought about the reinterpretation of that trope, is it doesn't work that way. They get together for a protracted period of time. They have to be in each other's presence, marriage of convenience. They have to do it for a green card. Whatever the reason is that they start hating each other and that the one character who was really maybe in love with the other one, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And he's like, no fucking way. I need to get over this shit. I need a I was, divorce. I was, yeah, I was that, so hung They, up on they did it in canon. Yeah. Um, Ziva and Tony doing that undercover yeah. operation. I want a divorce. But you could do that where it's like Tony and Gibbs are stuck in each other, so like whether it's the cabin in the woods or whatever. Tony's Maybe you've got Tony like thinking he's in love with Gibbs, and then he spends a few days with him. He's like, oh, my God, I hate this man. <laughs> i got to leave it. Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck was I thinking? Like, oh, I have to go. I, 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 need, to go, I need to go hang out with somebody else. Um, or worse. <laughs> God, I'm feeling so evil. Tony falls out of love with Gibbs in that in that enforced time together, and Gibbs falls in love. <laughs> oh, oh, the sex is terrible, and Tony so can't much. deal. Yeah, he's like, oh God, no. And Gibbs is like, Tony, I, I think I think some some things changed for us. And he's like, yeah, they sure did. Yeah, uh, and then Gibbs is trying to you know in his non uncommunicative way explain that his feelings have changed and Tony gives him his notice. He <laughs> says, That's so I never evil. realized, you would I never so realized how incompatible now. we were until we had to spend that three weeks together. And Yeah, I'm taking Fornell up on his offer to go to the FBI. 
So I can't, I just can't be around you, dude. I mean, yeah, I always knew you were a dick. I just didn't realize you were this big of a dick. Pining is a trope. Um, there is the pining trope. Um, it's not a favorite of mine personally, so it's not one that I would even know. Because actually, if I see pining typically in a tag, it's going to have to have a really riveting summary <laughs> for me to get over pining. Because it's like, oh, pining. Mm. Um, this trope list. When Kira and I were talking earlier about what, what trope we'd be looking at, I looked at the trope list and I like I froze. I was like, oh, my God, no, 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 no. Nope, no, nope, I couldn't. Nope, I, why nope. would I want to reinvent that? No, no, no. Mark um, that out. Actually, mark that out. Oh, shit. Hell no. <laughs> one of the isolated or trapped tropes is called Canadian Shack. I actually find that to be hysterical. <laughs> that's that's got to be the Due South um, fandom. They they probably are the ones that are responsible for that. Because there is an episode, I think, of Due South where they end up in a Canadian shack. Oh, it's based upon a um, a story by uh, Speranza back in 2001 called 101 Ways to End Up in a Canadian Shack. Um, it was I based think I on prevalent. That. It was based on prevalent fan fanon in Due South, which had them constantly getting stuck in a shack in Canada. Um, so other people have applied that. So I would probably want to go super literal with that trope and have in another fandom and have them getting stuck in a shack in Canada just to be like an Easter egg to amuse the fuck out of people who understood the trope or write a little, very literal curtain thick, curtain thick trope thick where they're shopping for curtains, but for a really sinister reason, like they need <laughs> ones that are, that they can get blood out of, you know, <laughs> like in bed, bath, and beyond. We can get blood out of this. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about body fluids? I don't think this is going to handle bleach very well. <laughs> That's we not waterproof enough. What is Due South? Due South is a. Somebody asked what Due South is. It's a, it's a TV show. It's off the air now. Um, it's about Mounties, I think, as I recall. It's a Mountie who comes to New York, and he ends up partnered with a New York cop. Yeah. And then he gets another hotter partner. <laughs> the fandom went boom. <laughs> cop from Chicago and a Mountie. It sounds like the start of a joke, doesn't it? Yeah, probably as an extension. They have huddling for warmth as a as a trope, which yes, I can see it's a trope, but I would call that probably as like an extension of the maybe the Canadian you know, trapped in a Canadian shack thing. Um, the trapped thing, that would be kind of like a to me like a subset of that. Where you have to get up close and personal. Although some characters that's a really difficult sell. Um cuddling with some characters. It's like even if their lives are on the line that they're probably still gonna be sitting in separate 
um, ten feet apart from each other. <laughs> I think Ziva would uh, would not want to cuddle. I don't think she'd want to cuddle either. I think Gibbs has probably been in enough um, military situations that are desperate were desperate enough that he'd understand the importance of conserving body warmth. He would totally let Tony octopus on him. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think Vance is a cuddler. I mean, he would tolerate no, it, but it would be like, we must never speak of this. <laughs> <laughs> ever. Are you sure, sir? Yes, Dinozo, I am sure. We would, must never, ever speak of this. Well, that's a completely different trope than I thought it was. Sometimes I need to open a trope and open the link and see what the fuck that trope is. Because when I saw denial fic as a trope, I was like, like poor Tony's never getting off. Um, that's not what it means. <laughs> no, what like that's not what it, that's, No, that's not what it means. At all. It's it's where the it's it's sort of like fix it fic, um, but like a different. It's like just denying that a major event in canon is ignored or contradicted, oh, which like is the death what, of a character. Yeah, that didn't happen. There you go. Like EWE denial fix. Coulson did die, and they had to like rewrite the whole Marvel universe so Coulson didn't die. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> they were like, no, no, and fuck you, no, fix it, no. <laughs> but they didn't see that shit coming, or they never would have done it. <laughs> It'd have been healed on their diet. <laughs> <laughs> so denial sick like they specifically give examples of denial sick as being stuff like where Daniel didn't ascend and die um, that kind of thing I would imagine that Duranda is a is, is there's a lot of denial sick around Duranda I, want, I, I just have denial um, but it's not only Duranda it's the aftermath of Duranda that I have denial right. about the complete and terrible unprofessional behavior yeah. Like what the actual fuck. And that's sort of like, you know, not even dealing with tropes is like when when and when when there's when there's, you know, when there's when there's denial sick around an episode. Um I wouldn't I would never have known to use that term, but now that I've got it, I'm going to use it. When there's denial sick around an episode like Duranda, um like Duranda didn't happen. Um just go a different direction. It happened and everybody acted like adults. I mean, maybe the story wouldn't be very long, but, you know, it's a different spin. <laughs> Actually, I have that issue. I talked to somebody about reinterpretation of tropes um, after the last podcast or the one before. I don't remember. And we were talking about Tony Lee's positively ways, ways of Tony Lee's positively. And she said, but there's just, they'd be a really short story. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. It depends upon what you're writing. Right? I mean, if you're going to reinterpret a trope where what you're doing is pulling out angst and drama that um, that leads to words, well, then you have to write plot to bring new angst and drama in that's just a different kind. Because there's definitely several times when I've just sat here in this course of the show <laughs> thinking, well, if I did that, there would be a very short story. Um <laughs> But there's nothing wrong with a very short story. 
very short story can be very satisfying. That serial killer story where Tony's killing people and Gibbs is enabling him, that's very short. I think it's like 2,000 words. <laughs> but it's also very satisfying. It is super satisfying. So don't let short get in your way. So I refreshed my Facebook just now. I don't know why. Oh, because my messenger wasn't act- was it wasn't activating. I thought I was losing my internet, and I come across a meme that says she was not fragile like a flower. She was fragile like a bomb. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, like that's good. He was sent to Siberia to be punished. Uh, I don't think that working in the ancient outpost would be considered a punishment by anybody's standard. No. I'd say he was down there because Carter didn't want to be. But if Carter had wanted that, she'd have been there and he'd have been at Area 51 again. Mm-hmm. Well, I, Sam and Jack were really... SG-1 was very clicky, and that... That's I mean that's canon. Um, it was called the show was called SG One. Um, so, yeah. But um, speaking of SG One, um, I nominate Lady Holder for the SG One drift. Mm. She's the SG One expert. <laughs> she knows all their tropes. She knows where all the bodies are hidden. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what? Detrope, detrope, retrope, untrope. I don't, I'm not really sure what. We'll call it trope drift. There we go. <laughs> just because otherwise it would just get really confusing. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Um, well, there was a whole reason behind McKay being. Um, um, McKay disappearing because he wasn't supposed to be in Stargate Atlantis. That was supposed to be another character, but when David Hewlett auditioned for that character, they were like, holy shit, we can put McKay in this role and it'll be awesome because he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. But it wasn't supposed to be Rodney down there anyway. It was supposed to be Dr. Ingram. So. <clears throat> Anyways, we're down to a minute and 12 seconds. Um, and uh do you have anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> Not that can be talked about in a minute. Not in sixty seconds. <laughs> so I think the next one will be um Harry Potter and um I'll probably take that one for myself because Yes. You um, need to you need to get all up in those tropes. <laughs> <laughs> And then Lady Holder can do SG-1, um, and then um, we'll fight over who gets to do um, Stargate Atlantis. <laughs> not like a real fight, not like a pillow fight or anything, but just more like a intense argument between friends. Anyways, have a good night. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. <laughs>